0: And welcome to the 114th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast about board games and games and boards and board, not game board, of board games.
1: Nailed it, Ava. Absolutely <laughs> nailed it.
0: I'm Ava Foxworth, and joining me today is Quintin Smith. Hello, Quingles.
1: Hello, Ava. How are you doing? I am okay. You're as okay as anyone four months into a global pandemic can be. Yes,
0: yes. Isn't it great how a shifting baseline can make everything feel a little bit better whilst also definitely being a bit worse?
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, I, you know, I feel like we've talked about COVID so much in the last few podcasts, I'm gonna do a real handbrake turn and say... Rather than talking about COVID, I'm going to start this intro by saying I've been watching a lot of Bake Off The Professionals. Ava, do you watch any uh, Great British Bake Off? I
0: do not watch any Great British Bake Off professionally or amateurishly.
1: Uh, What I'm going to do is explain to people, because I know we have a lot of American listeners. In fact, mostly American listeners to our board game podcast. Uh, Americans, of course, recently were turned on to the, the fabulous reality show Great British Bake Off. I'm here to say, if you haven't heard of Great British Bake Off, The Professionals, I would go as far as to say it is the superior show. Well, not the superior show. I just prefer it. Uh, and the main difference, over, aside from all the contestants being professionals, is they have to work in teams. So rather than just one person who has to bake like 20 scones, it's like two professional pastry chefs who have to make like 40 little glazed tarts or whatever. And mostly I just like it because they get angry and yell at each other. Uh, or you know, or sometimes one of them will cry. Or like, you know, all those little moments of friction where a team you know is uh, put under enough pressure that they that the facade kind of cracks. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. If if you're just tuning in, this is a podcast about board games. Uh, well, you got to give me something, Ava. Do you do you like baking? Do you like cakes? Do you um, like
0: I like, so I like baking, I like cakes, I like doing dough things, but I um, fundamentally disrespect the concept of recipes in a way that
1: makes me terrible at quite a lot of those things. Yeah, I, yeah. Baking is like the most recipe centric form of of cuisine. I would say. You know yeah, I mean? you yeah. you don't have the scales in your house. I,
0: there, there are some scales. I don't know where they are. Um, <laughs> but, like, but I normally get away with it. Like, I've got a good eye for specific things, but it does kind of limit me to only doing like the one there's one cake that I can do fairly reliably there's one (laughs) as Ava's cake fairly fairly reliably and both of those things work because I know them quite instinctively but I couldn't give you any more precision than that and so watching Bake Off is probably just going to give me loads of exciting ideas that I would then ruin
1: (laughs) I've got Um, an exciting idea Ava How about I list all the exciting board games we're going to be talking about on this podcast? That
0: sounds like a recipe for success.
1: (laughs) It's only been a few weeks, but I've missed you. Right. (laughs) On today's podcast, we're going to start by talking about the game that everyone wants us to talk about. I have got an early copy of Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. Don't be confused by the number. It's the third game in this series following on from Season 2, and I think... It might be ruddy excellent. We're going to be talking about Innovation, a game that is overwhelmingly brown and yet at the same time contains every concept in the world. We're going to be talking about Geometric Art, a game that uh, could, I guess, theoretically contain every concept, depending on how good you are at using circles and dry erase pens. We're going to be talking about Spirit Island, a cooperative game about scaring colonizers away from an island using spiders and fire. Oh goodness! So much spiders and fire. We're going to be talking about spicy as well—the uh, newest card game that's got everyone excited—and it is, in fact, pretty spicy. All right, we're going to start with our dessert first. Ava, I have played the first few months of Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. Are you excited to hear about this? I'm
0: pretty excited about hearing about Pandemic Legacy Season. Oh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So, if you're not aware, Pandemic is I think I feel very comfortable saying one of the greatest board game designs of all time. It is a cooperative game for two to four players where the map is a map of the world and you fly around. I was talking to my wife about this this week. Hilariously, you play the CDC, an organization that I used to introduce when I taught Pandemic like five, six years ago as like, you know, the best disease fighting organization in the world. Obviously, recent events in America have made Pandemic a little closer to a farce than a simulation. Um, But Pandemic Legacy, which came out a good five, six years ago, um, took Pandemic and then offered a campaign where as you played through the story, which sort of mapped uh, one year in the the CDC's life, um, you would put stickers on the board, you would change rules, you would explore the story so that um, by the end of Pandemic Legacy, in addition to all these secrets and new mechanics and tokens and components you got to uncover by opening the boxes in the box, like you're opening an advent calendar um, you ended up playing a different game, you know, uh, by the, even just sort of April in the year's worth of games you would be playing in your copy of Pandemic Legacy, um, your board, your diseases, your rules would be different to everyone else's in the world. Um, it was an absolutely superb game. Very briefly before Gloomhaven, it was the ranked on Board Game Geek as the number one board game of all time. Um, I, at the time, would have agreed with that. Then, a few years later, we got Pandemic Legacy Season 2, which was this post-apocalyptic Mad Max spin-on pandemic, um, which uh, took the game into the far future. Did a video review of that as well. I wasn't a huge fan of it. Certainly, I wasn't as big a fan as um, the rest of the board game scene. Um, I had one big criticism of Pandemic Legacy Season 2, which was that because... uh, It's very small spoilers here. It starts with a small map that you then expand outwards. Um, It didn't feel like it had that base, that solid foundation of season one, because, you know, season one took Pandemic, which is an amazing game, and then uh, built outwards on top of it. Season two didn't start with anything resembling Pandemic, and you slowly sort of approached building a full game of Pandemic as you played it. Um, And for me, that wasn't as entertaining. I should say, though, that my experience of being disappointed in Pandemic Legacy Season 2 is, I think, in the minority. And a lot of people thought it was amazing.
0: Uh, Ava, did you play either of these two games? Um, So I am upsettingly still only about a third to a halfway through the first Pandemic Legacy. Um, uh, Interpersonal things meant that I didn't get to finish that campaign. So I don't think I've really seen it shine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I haven't played any of season two, um, so I couldn't tell you anything about that, although I uh, was, was following on some people who were, so I know some bits and bobs about it. Um, but yeah, Pandemic for me is one of those things that I, I wish I'd got a chance to dive more into, so I may just find myself getting more and more jealous during this uh, <laughs> slash the next year, because um, well. everyone talks about this.
1: What I will say is that if you were to sort of restart your uh, dabbling in Pandemic Legacy, I do think Season Zero might be a really good place to uh, start and maybe finish. By which I mean, I think from my early plays of it, this could be the best box of all three. I'm not sure. It all depends on what you're uh, you're going for. But I should stop talking around Season Zero and give people what they want, which is what this game is, which has been sort of hidden uh, coyly by the publishers um, until I think... Uh, yesterday, at the time of this podcast release. So, Pandemic Legacy Season Zero is a prequel, and it is very, very, very heavily inspired by the Cold War. So, what you play in the year 1961 are doctors, standard pandemic, right? But there's no diseases you're going to be fighting. At the start of the campaign, you are just fighting the Cold War. You are doctors who are trained as spies, and you are going to be flying around the world, not defeating diseases, but defeating soviet agents so rather than disease cubes that get placed around the boards you instead fight these little carmen san diego looking red pieces and i should say before we proceed any further i absolutely adore the art design of uh, of season zero um i feel like it's not sort of uh plausible kind of cold war this is not a war game it's very much like a saturday morning cartoon of the cold war um there's right. you know it's it's more like well how to describe it so the amount of people my character has sort of either killed or neutralized in one (laughs) game of pandemic legacy season zero is already like, it puts it into the sort of like Marvel universe level of number of fights (laughs) that I've had. Um, And one inch. So, if you, so you're just, doctors
0: that are going around killing people.
1: Better than that, Ava. Um, in previous Pandemic games, there's this idea that as your personal character, who you're developing over the course of the campaign, got exposed to diseases, they would kind of increasingly become more and more likely to die. In Pandemic Legacy Season Zero, and before I get any further describing this, I should say um, there is a heavy embargo as to sort of all the secrets in the box. So um, I'm not going to be teasing any uh, anything other than what you find out when you open the box and start playing. Um, That's all I'm giving away on this podcast and the official Shut Up and down review, which will feature my thoughts on the whole finished campaign, will be um, uh, in just a few weeks. But um, so funnier than you not really being doctors, but you are pretending to be doctors because rather than um, this idea that you might get sick (laughs) and maybe die, um, you now have a little every character has a little passport. And if you spend if you start your turn in cities that are sort of under surveillance by the Soviets, you lose cover. So there's this idea that your sort of like fake passport might eventually be burned when the Soviets know that you're a spy. Um, But excellently, while you are sort of within the fiction of the game, doctors pretending to be, well, sorry, you are spies who are trained doctors as well. You all have to pick a cover occupation, which is why you can fly around the world. And this is a sticker that gets put into your passport. So I think my character is like, i 'm a medical conference organizer, but in practice that just means you know I fly to Cairo, kill three dudes, and pretend i 'm organizing <laughs> a medical conference um, so that 's pretty fabulous uh, the The big mechanical change here there 's a couple of them, um, and then I, I suppose i 'm coming to the limits of what I can really talk about without spoiling the game. The big mechanical changes from base pandemic first off um, i 'll start with the one i don 't like so ordinarily in pandemic when you pandemic is all based around this lovely mechanic where when you get A city, every city in the world can only hold three cubes representing how diseased that city is. If you would ever put a fourth cube in, instead, there is an outbreak which causes a disease cube to be put not in that city, which maxes out at three cubes, but one cube in every connected city. So it sort of spiders out and that can cause, you know, chain outbreaks where one city pops and that would put a cube in another city that had three cubes. So that pops as well. Um, It's a satisfying mechanic. It's terrifying. It's lovely to think about. Um, that is one of the things that has been removed because, Ava, I don't know how much you know about the Cold War, but if you put a critical mass of spies in a city, it doesn't create extra spies like through sort of asexual reproduction. Wait, I thought that was literally what the Cold War was about. <laughs> no, no, you've been listening to... Spy uh, <laughs> you watching too many history documentaries on YouTube again. Um, <laughs> instead, what happens in Pandemic Legacy Season Zero is when a city pops, when you would put a fourth uh, lovely red trench coat Soviet spy in it, You instead draw the bottom card of the infection deck. And every card has like a different possible bad thing that could happen. For example, it might say, you know, the Soviets blow up a safe house if there is one in South America, or it might say, put an extra, you know, uh, spy in every city that's had an incident in Asia. The reason I don't like that is because for me, pandemic is so much about planning. And when outbreaks are not, when you don't know the consequences of an outbreak, mm. it's kind of a shame to just say like, well, an outbreak might happen there and you have no idea whether so far in my play of Pandemic Legacy Season Zero, half the time those outbreaks do nothing because it's like, put a spy in every place with a thing with in this area. But if you don't have that, there's no consequence. Yeah. But equally, the consequence could be absolutely devastating for what you're planning to do. You just don't know.
0: Yeah yeah that's a odd horizon to put into things just
1: it is it is and it makes the game sort of a little more um surprising um but it sacrifices that in terms of strategy so i'm not in love with that change um but what i do like is a couple of other changes to the game one of which is cities now have allegiances just in the same way you you'd have in twilight struggle which used to be the board game scene's favorite board game ever um where cities can either be soviet or allied or neutral, and I, everything about the game implies that is going to have a f- huge effect later. It already has a huge effect in the game because it's harder to fly into Soviet-controlled cities where it's easier to fly into Allied-controlled cities. Yeah. Um, and so presumably, I, I mean, no prizes for guessing, those cities are probably going to change allegiance as you move through the campaign yeah, yeah, yeah. and you'll end up having discussions like, we can't let London become Soviet because that would ruin our transportation link. Yeah. Um, but the big, mechanic, uh, the big mechanical change that I think people are going to get a kick out of is uh, the vans you're going to get. So um, this game confirms, because this game was designed by Matt Leacock and Rob Davio, both of whom are Americans. Um, There's this recurring thing that I found out from my American wife where Americans seem to believe that all bad things ever happen in vans. Like the only reason you would ever own a van is if you are some kind of criminal, Um, which isn't true in Europe. We use vans to transport goods from place to place. Um, Americans use pickup trucks for that, and vans are exclusively the domain of People who are somewhat troubling in one way or another, so rather than curing diseases um, in this game, you instead create teams of bad dudes in vans right If you have five matching i don 't know like uh, allied cards rather than cashing them into cure a disease, you now cash them in to create a van full of people who have an alias that is either allied or Soviet or neutral, so basically they 're either called you know the Joneses, the Igors, or some neutral name. And that <laughs> van can then be driven around by players. And the van, whenever your turn ends, eliminates all Soviet agents in the city that it's in. Okay. So you end up, rather than just curing diseases and not having to think about them, you then create vans, which are something you have to think about. You have to think about where you make the van. Because let me tell you, Ava, if you make a van to clear up troubles in you know, Pyongyang, that van's going to have a really, really, really long drive to go and kill spies in Europe. Uh, So that's some sort of like... I I, I feel sad because this game is very exciting. It's full of secrets. There's loads of stuff I want to spoil, even just in the first few months of playing it. I can't say any of that. So instead, I'm stuck talking about vans.
0: Yeah. Um, (laughs) I have to say, it's a very board gamesy thing to say, you know what?
1: The thing that everyone's going to be really excited about Vans. (laughs) (laughs) Vans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what if I told you these vans were the cutest little plastic vans you've ever seen? Little plastic vans with a little hammer and sickle printed on the back, driving around, oh, murdering little people. Bill tiny, tiny, tiny pretend communists who secretly work for the CIA. It's lovely. Um, another tiny touch that will reveal how much I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of what I can actually say about this game without breaking the embargo. Because it's 1961, lots of the city names are different. Hmm. Uh, Beijing is called something else. I should have looked that up before I recorded this podcast. (laughs) I I don't want the people to go home fully empty handed. So I will reveal one more thing uh, that is like uh, immediately apparent as soon as you open the box. So it doesn't fit my definition of a spoiler. But when you're making your character portrait, which goes in your little passport with your little fake identity, the game comes with a whole, the the face you put into the passport is bald and has like no identifying features whatsoever um and then you get to mr potato headed up by putting on a haircut glasses a suit jacket all of this stuff and then when you make different identities for that same character so when the game starts you've got like your cia identity you know your american identity and you get to dress up that mr potato head but the game clearly hints that you will get other soviet you know false identities and neutral papers and then you have the same face but you're going to dress it up differently um So that eventually you'll have like multiple passports that you can use to travel between different people with multiple names for your same character, which is such a fun Cold War thing to do. Uh, So It's great as well. It's also like that's
0: the archetypal legacy thing, isn't it? Like the idea is every every game is going to be different, but actually being able to straight off the bat saying like every character can be different.
1: Because everyone gets
0: to build their own thing straight away. Like it's really, it's a really nice kind of like symbolic thing. I mean, even, sorry.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, I have not played a Pandemic Legacy that's had such a strong start as me and my wife arguing about who would get like a particular shirt or a particular (laughs) haircut, um, which is, yeah, just very, very pleasant.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really, really nice. I also really like the fact that they've decided that, like, since they managed to knock Twilight Struggle off the top spot on the BGG 100, <laughs> they're instead going to, for the second sequel, actually just try and make a version of Twilight Struggle that is also Pandemic Legacy. Like, that's oh, a wow. really, really nice shift in kind of tone and, tone and idea. And, yeah, that does make me pretty excited. And if you think that, it, yeah, I guess because it's a prequel, it can stand alone in a way that the... Um, Season two couldn't necessarily. So, yeah.
1: Exactly. That's something I will also say. While playing season two without playing season one would be, um, there, there are reasons that would be a shame. Season zero is clearly built so that there's lots of hints as to, you know, setting up stuff that will happen in season one and two. But you can absolutely, if you've not played Pandemic Legacy before, go straight into season zero. Um, but if you want to know more details as to how I think it stacks up about the other against the other couple of seasons, you're just going to have to wait for my full video review, which will be in just a few weeks, but I'm so excited to do it.
0: So, you have successfully refilled my van's hype... What do you call a petrol pack tank? Tank. Hype tank. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so now I've talked about um, maybe perhaps even the most colourful, exciting uh, production of the whole year... Do you want to talk about Innovation, which you told me you've been playing recently, the brownest? And in some way, like, I w- there's a written review of Innovation on the site, um, which I did, and it's maybe the meanest I've ever been about how a game looks. Tell the people why you've been enjoying it. Um, so
0: I've been playing Innovation Online quite a lot. Like, it's it's a game that I liked already, and I talked about in my roundup of Carl Shiddick games, Carl Shiddick being, like, possibly my favorite designer, and therefore the person who I pitched a massive bulk review of like i just want to review every great game and i want to look at exactly why i find these games so fascinating so you can have a look at that on the website
1: Yeah, I'll Um, put a link to that in the, uh, if you're looking at this podcast description on ShutUpAndSitDown.com, I'll put a link to your roundup of Chuddock games in that because I love that.
0: um, So Innovation is probably Carl Chudick's not necessarily most accessible game, but certainly the most widespread and most popular game. Um, And it is, in the American edition, it is definitely the brownest thing ever. (laughs) <laughs> With like everything having a slight sepia tone and a, l- a little bit of color there's an, a yellow edition that i think is mostly distributed around europe that is somewhat more colorful but mostly in a kind of sense of being like more garish than necessarily being better um but it exists and we're not <laughs> in, i'm not in it for the looks because fundamentally the looks are always going to be a bit grim because it's the entirety of human history expanded on a 10 decks of cards one each deck represents a different age and you are racing to do what you would normally do in a civilization game and become the best by expanding and screwing over your neighbors innovation the reason why I wanted to talk about it is cuz i've actually like since since lockdown i've been engaged in a kind of incredibly heavy duel with a complete stranger who i challenged or who i picked a random game with on uh board game arena um and ever since we've just been constantly rematching each other as i slowly try to actually become good at this game
1: that's Um, awesome
0: it's great it's been really lovely we've had a lot of like random chats in the little chat box about quite a lot of uh, little things um uh and and we've just been going at it and it feels like it reminds me of the um, uh, the, the bit you did for Dark Souls a while ago or Cool Ghost or whatever that is actually called. <laughs> um, uh, your Street Fighter uh, attempt to become the best in the world at Street Fighter.
1: It was it was attempt to get into the top twenty percent of players uh, yeah. online. Uh, don't mind telling you, I failed that. But that podcast is called The Contender. If people felt like googling the Contender, it, yeah, and it's good stuff. It's good stuff. So yeah. this has been a bit like
0: that, and I am. Um, I think I've beaten this guy once, <laughs> <laughs> um, in about what's probably approaching like twenty games or so at the moment. Um, Which is really interesting because I think one of the things that people criticize innovation for a lot is a, a random element that feels like it's not possible to be good at it because there's just so much going on. And that's obviously not true, because if it was random, I would have won more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Like, There's clearly like an amount of knowledge and talent that you can build up at this game, and I think that really excites me. So let's quickly go through what innovation is actually about. So I've said that you're trying to be the best civilization, um, but it is entirely a card game. So you've got cards for each age. Each card has an array of symbols on them that are arranged in a very particular fashion, and a little bit of text that explains what the action associated with that card is Um, so for
1: example i can't think of an example i don't know why but what the last time i played innovation i used uh, a card called cannery which enabled me to can other cards yeah
0: so every everything will have a tenuous relation to what it is so every card will (laughs) be a concept so you might have the concept of agriculture and if you've got agriculture then when you activate that card, you'll be able to like score some points. You'll draw some things, you'll score something, and that'll get you closer to winning the game. You win the game not by scoring points directly, but those points allow you to claim achievements um, or dominations, depending on which version of the game you're playing, um, which are a single card that you tuck under your little player mat. And that lets you know you're one of four, five or six steps towards winning, depending on how many players you're playing with. Um, the core of all of this, though, is that each card has these symbols on and has these texts on. And how much of those symbols you have spread out in front of you on a tableau of five different colours of cards dictates how strong you are at something. So if you've got the the plant symbol, then you're better at farming. And if you've got the um, castle symbol, you're going to be better at defence and war and such. Um, and these all interrelate with everyone else at the table. So if I've got lots of plants and you've got no plants, then I may be able to bully you with plants if I've got a (laughs) card that lets me do that, or if you try and do something with plants, I'm just going to get it for free because I'm more plants than you. Right. Um, That back and forth is such a fascinating dynamic of like trying to constantly put cards down that let you do the things that you want to do, whilst also making sure that you've got enough resources of these different types to be stronger than the other person or to fight off attacks or to be ready. And one of the joys of playing this online that you don't have when you're playing in person I think makes it um, almost better suited to that is you have time to actually look at your opponent's tableau and see exactly what they've got, what they could do, what they might be planning. And try and counteract that. So, with your two actions in each turn, you've got the opportunity to play something that gives you a bit of a defence, and then activate something else that will will get in the way of their plans. Um, and these cards are so ridiculous. Like there's ten there's ten decks. They get increasingly powerful as they go off and by halfway through the deck you're already doing things that seem like they should be impossible and they would break the game if that was that was a thing on its own but both of you have access to these things and you're trying to race to get through those decks as quickly as possible and it is it's a weird little nightmare and i really heartily recommend it like in terms of like especially as a two player game where you can just absorb what each other is doing and ha- take the time to figure out what the what the implications of each of the cards are. Um, if you play with someone more experienced than you, you are probably going to lose over and over again. But it's going to be fascinating because you're going to lose in a different way every time.
1: I mean, I think I think that's probably the <clears throat> the thing that I would uh, suggest to people if they um, you know were looking for reasons to play innovation. You know, it's when you talk about it being random, it's not it's it's not random who wins. It's random which cards out of the games preposterously like vast repository of cards and ideas and concepts and game breaking rules will show up in a particular game. Yeah, exactly.
0: And they interlock in such unusual ways that like you always have a bit of hope because there's Mm -hmm. always like, even there's been, there's been a few games where it's got down to um, my opponent's got five achievements, just needs one more to win. Um, And I'm there and I'm like, well, I'm way behind, But I also have twice as many of all of the symbols and I'm much higher level and much further through the through the ages um, than than he is. So maybe I've genuinely got a chance of getting to those top cards because in in the last age, like there's a load of cards that just make you instantly win the game. Like if you can get to, yeah. isn't, isn't nuclear
1: that, nuclear war one of them?
0: Well, no, nuclear war is a, a, a nightmare. <laughs> like, <there's, laughs> it doesn't let you win the game. It has quite a power. It's it's actually not called nuclear war. It's called nuclear fission, right? Um, and uh, it has one ability that is that will like both all both uh, both of the uh, abilities will activate every time you use it and one of the abilities is quite powerful and useful so that's like oh you've got lot nuclear fission you can use nuclear power now hey but i see
1: no uh, drawbacks with this so how could well, that possibly
0: well the drawback to having nuclear power is in very particular circumstances the second thing triggers and what that does is immediately removes from the game Almost everything that has happened so far
1: i <laughs> like, rem- <laughs> I remember this now yeah
0: yeah it's it 's fully i 've n- not seen it happen, but I love it because and I said this in in the um carddic piece, like it is possibly the best mechanical pun in the entirety of board games because what happens is you return all of the cards. Um, that you had apart from achievements everything else gets returned to the deck that it came from or chucked out um and put back in the box what that effectively means is that you have just been bombed back to the stone age love it and you start the game again almost but with the victory points that. and it's 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 so smart and it's so full of those ideas and like you will so rarely get to those um age 10 cards that even now as someone who's played like 20 games online and uh multiple games in person w- in lots of different environments i've seen so few of those age end cards that they're all a surprising and they're all just a kind of like you can do what now <laughs> like which <laughs> sure. is the most common refrain for this game and i i think it's worth it for that i think it's worth the quite steep learning curve and bland brown appearance
1: Am I correct in saying that uh, despite Innovation being this tiny box that is like filled to the gills with cards and ideas, there are expansions for Innovation as well?
0: Yeah, there are. I've not actually had a chance to play with them, and they're not available on Board Game Arena, so I've not got a chance to go into them. There's only one expansion available for the European version, but the American version, I think, has, um, has quite a few. I think there's like four or five boxes that are available. Um no idea whether they're worth going into i i can't it's the sort of thing where I can't quite imagine you ever getting bored of the base game or feeling like there's not enough in the base game so the fact that there's more stuff kind of boggles me
1: i mean i'm I'm sad over here being boggled at the thought <laughs> of adding more cards to innovation, but then I suppose if I'm saying like just to people oh well if you want to try this game the appeal is that there are so many cards why should it surprise me that there are expansions adding more cards and ideas and concepts
0: yeah and I think it's the sort of game that it it's a rare kind of game that I think could possibly be the only game you play and I don't think many people would do that, but I think you could. And I think that if if that's the level you're at with it, that this is the one thing you're totally obsessed with, you probably would want to check in um,
1: a variety over time. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, actually, when you talk about dueling a stranger, you know, there are a few different sort of unusual side effects of doing this job working for Shut Up and Sit Down. And we talked about one of them on the last podcast, number 113, where uh, Tom and I talked about when you review something your relationship to it changes and often for the worse but um yeah i think one of the big side effects of me doing this job is because i'm constantly playing new stuff i don't get to have that experience that i love almost more than anything in board games of getting better at a game with someone your relationship to it changing you know you're you almost learning the other player and how they play and that informing you about the other player as well you know those are some of the biggest highs I've had in all of tabletop gaming. You know, when you play something so many times with just one person and I'm sort of denied that in my job. It's a real shame.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely been a treat to actually have that time and to be able to be focused on one, one thing. And, you know, I, well, the reason I've got that time is because I'm actually only playing like one or two turns a night. Um, and it's been stretching out over over quite a long period of time, but then you've got the time to think about it. And yeah, I think it's I, I think it's worth getting into that with someone. If you can find someone who's got a game, and you can and just go into an asymmetrical game on one of these online services, and just play very slowly over and over again, something like innovation, something like complicated and interesting, but also simple turn structure. I'd really recommend it.
1: Lovely. I do have a plan to make up for the fact that I've not properly explored any of Carl Chadwick's games. You know, I missed Messiah and I I missed Glorious Rome. I missed Innovation, really, that I'm going to try and get into a GNC, you know, that the new Mm -hmm. one that's coming Mm -hmm. out of everyone trading. And I know you tried a prototype and I know you said it wasn't necessarily great. I also heard that about so from the so very wrong about games podcast. But I have faith Chadwick's not going to turn out a bum game, is he? I mean,
0: he's definitely turned out bum games. Don't
1: tell um, me that
0: <laughs> or well, I'm not one hundred percent I think there's some that are weaker than others, and um I do I, worry yeah. that he's not a like perfect hit machine. However, I do think a and Mr. C. while i had i played two games of it now, they were a prototypes um, and a big part of the problem with them is that the the wording needed to be fixed, so I suspect that they will be better on in once they're the final published edition but i do think there is it's got the wildness of innovation as well as some of the intricacy of some of the other games in a way that is challenging but i think could be could be brilliant
1: honestly Um, i'm I'm just kind of amped because it's about trading in the mediterranean which i've discovered i do quite like when it's (laughs) like you know, when when the, the theme is quite vivid and I'm imagining, you know, casks full of olive oil, I get quite into that.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, thematic vividness isn't necessarily something I would say that culturally excels at.
1: Will there be a card with like olive oil printed on the name or will it just be cards with, you know, mercantilism too? <laughs> will, I, will i get nouns is what i'm asking
0: you will get nouns every every card in the GNC is named after an island from the GNC. sea
1: ah uh, that's
0: not trade goods is it i'm not gonna it's get not excited trade goods. about i don't think it's really a game about trading it's more about <laughs> like raiding and seizing and grabbing i'm sorry right, you have been well, misinformed you've assumed that because it's taking place in the mediterranean that it's going to involve trading and actually it's more slowly building stuff on islands and then stealing them from your neighbors
1: mm, well let's move on then speaking of producing stuff on uh, islands ava i've been playing a little board game out of taiwan um called geometric art um this probably won't be getting a full video review on the site uh, it's only a little thing but i did have a lovely time with it um this is a box uh, containing i think six sort of dry arrays um easels for players to draw on uh and You can either play it cooperatively, and then you're all cooperatively trying to figure out what the heck one another are drawing, or competitively, and then you want to sort of draw something that at least one player around the table will immediately get, and then the player who drew that thing and the player who gets it both get points. Basically, geometric art is a game about drawing with incredible handicaps. You're going to roll a bunch of dice in the middle of the table, all of which have geometric shapes on, triangles, lives, curvy lines, spirals, you know, the kind of things that artists use. And then uh, you get a category. Like, for example, we had one which was uh, things in a refrigerator. And then all players simultaneously have to use all the shapes you've rolled, but only once. So if a dice shows a triangle, you essentially can draw any three-sided shape. If a dice shows a circle, you can draw a circle or oval, um, that kind of thing. But you can only use each of these things once. So essentially, you've got to pick something that you can draw that other players will recognize using six discrete shapes. But it has that thing from a popular party game, Just One, where if any two players around the table draw the same thing, they're both penalized. Mm -hmm. So you want to go a bit unusual and a bit edgy without going so like, you know, yes, it's theoretically possible that someone could have like, I don't know, a pig's trotter in their refrigerator. If you draw that, it's not going to be good for anybody. Um, I like geometric heart a lot. I had a really nice little time with it. Um, And what I did maybe like most of all is it doesn't feel like other drawing games, you know, for a while, you know, Uh, this site has only ever said, oh, if you want a drawing game, buy Pictomania, which, you know, we do absolutely love. You know, your mileage may vary, but we think it's the drawing game. Geometric art is the first drawing game I've played where you could have it and Pictomania (laughs) because the puzzle is not, you know, drawing or guessing, really, although that is part of it. The puzzle is figuring out how on earth, like, I decided to draw a piece of bacon in a refrigerator, and I had, like, a line, a wavy line, a spiral, a triangle, and a circle. And trying to draw, like, a rasher of bacon with that was an absolute delight. It was really, really fun. Um, Start to finish, really, nothing about geometric art isn't great. It reminds me of, um, I don't know, one of those really, really good uh, silly party games, like Detective Club is a good example of this, where every part of the multi-stage round structure was fun. Figuring out what to draw is fun, trying to draw it is fun, guessing is fun, and what's probably the most fun, having a table of like four players who were all looking at you and discussing what the heck that thing is with, like, spirals and triangles on your sheet and having, like, radically different guesses is, again, really, really fun. Also, failing even is fun because when someone fails, you remove one of the dice in the pool. This is in the co-op version which we played. You remove one of the dice in the pool from the game so someone failing to guess something which is extra funny if someone goes i think that's a piece of bacon i think that's a piece of bacon i think that's a piece of bacon and someone goes i think it's a you know soft drink um the the person who's wrong means that you all have one less dice to draw with forever um which is like it's just very funny by the and it means that by the end of the co-op game you're all trying to do the same task which was not easy in the first place but you have to do it with like three shapes it's you know like Draw a pastime using a circle and two lines. Um, but, That's know,
0: really, really nice. I really like the idea of and um, the restriction on your draw. Like you know, we all know that like the one of the things that improves creativity and makes games interesting is when there's interesting restrictions. Mm. And with drawing games, generally speaking, the restriction is you're trying to do something fast and you're not an artist. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas. Unless you're an artist, in which case you're irritatingly good at the game, and that frustrates everyone
1: at the table. Um, Or not. For the first time, I had to because always, I when I'm teaching a drawing game, um, if there is an artist or a designer or anything resembling that skill set, or there's a Matt Lees at the table, for example, um, I will, uh, you know, during the rules explanation, make fun of them to make. But I do that to make, like, oh, you know, this player will obviously win. I do that to make other players around the table feel less bad that they can't draw, yeah. um, instead of, like, cool the atmosphere a little bit. In Geometric Art, I did that. I have my friend Annie, who's uh, an actual artist. I was like, of course, Annie's going to win. Annie's going to do great. Annie, then, she started panicking. And Annie was the only person in the first round whose drawing we didn't guess. Yeah. She had to draw something in a refrigerator, and she picked sushi, and she drew this tiny thing, which was actually a pretty clever use of the substance, we just didn't get it yeah Um, so So that's
0: that's it isn't it the restriction is coming not from people's ability and not just from the time pressure it's coming Mm. from actually no you've only got these shapes these shapes are clearly not the same shape as the thing you're drawing how are you going to deal with that like that gives you a totally different set of skills that you're drawing upon and there's a totally unique set of restrictions that isn't as obvious as like oh being good at drawing
1: Yeah, exactly, Um, exactly. Although uh, on that that note, I should say, uh, it's not a great uh, manual translated from, um, uh, ooh, I'm ashamed to say that I don't know exactly what kind of Chinese they speak in um, Taiwan. But uh, it's not a great manual. But what really cracked me up is while I was struggling to learn how to play the game, which I succeeded at in the end, it's not terrible. um, There was one example of play, which was like someone who'd used lines to draw an apple and Ava, you have never seen a more technically proficient apple from seven shapes. <laughs> like the worst thing is like, in this drawing game, you'll be using shapes to draw pictures like this. And it's like, for all the world, looks like this Disney apple. But then you check and you're like, oh no, I can see they used a triangle for the stem. And the oh my God, they, it actually looks like they weren't playing with restrictions, which really cracked me up. It's like, who thought this was a good idea? like. <laughs> It's it, having an example of play, which is better than anything any player will ever do. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Uh, I should actually mention, uh, I was planning to say this. Um, if you're listening to this and thinking, Quins, did you play board games in person? Yes, uh, we did. Um, we, it was my first time meeting up for a big old board game group. I'm trying not to be too happy about that because I'm not sure if anyone else in the shut up and sit down Slack is in a position to do it. Um, but yes, we sat outside, uh, we kept our distance from one another, we didn't share components where possible, but also it's worth knowing that where I live in uh, Sussex, and specifically in Brighton, um, there aren't that many COVID cases. Uh, so, so assuming you mask up and sit outside, it didn't feel completely irresponsible. Um, so I just wanted the, our audience to know that that is still on our mind as we're figuring out what to play test, and we are still prioritizing playing stuff digitally where possible. Spirit Island is a game that we've covered on
0: the site before. Paul did a written review a couple of years back. Um, uh, but there's a new expansion on the way called Jagged Earth. Um, and it's something that I kind of wanted to talk about for chess month because a great two-player experience I had, similar to the thing with innovation but less competitive, was playing with my uh, my friend Hal who... We got really into Spirit Island for a while, and every other weekend we were we were sitting and and having a two player co-op duel where we would really sink into the depths of it and try and make it harder and harder and like really get to to know it so
1: what so is- so. so-
0: <laughs> That's why I wanted to talk about it. What is Spirit Island? Spirit Island is a game of uh, fighting off a relentless onslaught of invaders. It's got that pandemic feel of explosive, uh, relentless, ongoing... Uh, suffering just kind of pouring in constantly, and you having to rush around and fix it, but mm. in terms of rushing around and fixing it, you are actually um, you 're the indigenous spirits of a island that is being invaded, and you are there to help the uh, uh, indigenous people of that island, the Dahan, ward off this invasion, and you start off and you 're just you're just a quiet, calm little spirit that 's just been like trundling about like the dahan are excellent at living in harmony with with you and with the nature of the island so you've had a good ecosystem thing going on for a while and then something comes in and disrupts it and that's where the game starts and you aren't the most powerful creature in the world at the beginning i mean you're not really a creature you're a spirit um i've just picked out a few of these because the names of these spirits is like one of the most like joyfully brilliant things about the game uh you might be playing as ocean's hungry grasp (laughs) or a spread of rampant green um or the bringer of dreams and nightmares
1: wow okay so let's let's take the ocean's hungry grasp if i am as i am in real life ocean's hungry grasp what does that mean for the game
0: So that means uh, ocean-hungry grass will have a few powers that are based around inundation and attacking. So you've got an island and it's surrounded by water. Normally that water is just a dead zone. It's a place where the invaders can come from, but otherwise it's not a landscape. Ocean-hungry grass completely breaks that rule and mostly exists in the water and has this strange tidal mechanism that means that they will get stronger when the tide that when they can get stronger by pulling the tide in and then they can push the tide back towards the uh, land and and overwhelm so you, you could, if you were playing on your own you could really struggle with getting to any of the inland like it's very hard to have powers that will let you reach to the the heart of the island but what's great about it is that you can pull people into the sea and just destroy them. <laughs> so if you can get your other player. So it, uh, this is, this is what's so great about this game. And this is why it's really interesting to collaborate and try with different combinations of spirits and different combinations of powers is that like, I think the game where I played Ocean's Hungry Grasp, the other player was something that was, that was great at shifting people around. So we were just in this thing of just like constantly herding people towards the coast, herding the invaders towards the coast so that we could drown them (laughs) so that i could just go look it's all right if you can get all of them lined up here then i can just eat them and that's no effort at all and you're constantly solving this kind of puzzle like there's a really interesting dynamic within the game where you have these power cards some of them are fast and some of them are slow which basically means during a turn some of them you can use before the invaders do all of their growth and movement and damage And some of the slow ones you have to do after that. So you're dealing with like a kind of future thing. And all of this is mostly predictable and mostly deterministic. Like there's a card that you draw that tells you where they will be moving next. And that you don't know. But you know that 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 same landscape that they move to will be the one that they will be building on next round. And it's the one that they will be destroying in the round after that so like you were saying with pandemic you've got this ability to predict what is coming and where you need to herd people um and because your powers are made up of power cards and because you've got an action called growth at the beginning of each turn that lets you learn something new or place power structures in different places you will slowly be getting stronger and stronger and more powerful as it goes on like i um I wrote a thing a while back about how it's got a very clear, like, three-act structure where there's this first turn, this first act where you slowly learn like how the game works and how these people are going to be attacking and what you can do to deal with them and then a second act where things just go catastrophically wrong and everything escalates and all of these <laughs> enemies just expand and explode and they're suddenly everywhere and you can just about you're, you're just about saving some people but you're not actually doing quite enough and it's all going to go horribly wrong and then there is almost always certainly in any game where you manage to win there's a tilt point where you become powerful enough, you've become just powerful enough to be slightly more powerful than them and then from then on it's just this kind of like incredible wash of like, you know, if you're ocean stars, you will be doing a tidal wave that will annihilate everything and you will have pushed everything into those things and you you can become so powerful and a sense of how that power builds is, is kind of amazing because it's not just that you have more of the currencies that come in. Each of the cards you have will have a special power and ability and there'll often be a, a extra strong version of the ability that you can do if you have certain resources available and each of the cards you play gives you some of these particular forms of energy that you get to use up during the course of that turn. So, You get to plan these moves where it's like, right, okay, but if I do that and that, then that makes this thing so much more powerful, and then maybe with that, I can do this thing as well. And your turns get more and more elaborate. It is quite a complicated game. It's quite a complicated game to get your head around initially, Um, although it's all quite deterministic, so you can just follow the process. It'll just be very confusing for your first rounds. But you get that sense of development, you get that sense of growth in it. And I think it's, I think it's really brilliant for that. And each it also has a challenge to like the, the standard criticism of co-ops. And one of the reasons why I'm actually a bit tentative about Pandemic is the, the fact that with Pandemic, a lot of the time, it is kind of easy for one person to hold the whole puzzle in their head. Yes. So if someone can work it out, then they will just end up telling everyone what to do. Um, Spirit Island, that is impossible because figuring out what you're going to do yourself is so tricky (laughs) and so complicated. (laughs) And so much of the information about what you can do is contained in cards and intricacies that it would not be possible to take. So all you can do is say, look, I could probably do some damage over here if we can get them into there. And they're like, okay, no, great. That's fine. I can move them into there if you could can you do something about this bit over here because i can only move them there if i don't deal with this bit it's like no okay yeah i can cover that bit and deal with and it's just the whole game has those kind of like cascading ideas and you do genuinely feel like you're cooperating and collaborating and like finding out never quite knowing what your your partner can do but as you work that out as you learn from each other you you're gaining new stuff which is making it more complicated but also making it more powerful and giving you this flexibility and and i love it and it's really wonderful as a two-player game which i wouldn't have thought i think it's probably better but longer with more players but with two players there's just a there's just a really good rapport to the game and
1: the way you're describing it reminds me of like wrestling tag teams you know where it's like the when you're on, when there's only two of you, and the things you do are so different, you know, there's, I don't know, like you can kind of get lost in a three or four player co-op game. You can have turns yeah. where you don't know how you fit in. But with the two, it, the way you're describing it as a two-player game that I like the sound of sort of using one another's constantly. That sounds really delightful yeah, too. Yeah, and that
0: that's it. It's very much you you start to learn what other people can do. And once you learn that, you can start coming up with more and more elaborate ways of of collaborating. And and yeah, I, I love it. With two players you can really there's a little bit where you're just staring at your cards and trying to work out the limits of what you can do. And then there's a bit where you start talking to each other and and you start going through what the actual practicalities are And the plans change every time that you do that. Um, and I think that's really... Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a very, very strong cooperative game.
1: When you were describing it, it reminded me of one of maybe even my favourite cooperative game aside from Pandemic Legacy, which is Space Alert. Um, but that does a similar thing where... Well, it's actually... If there are get co-op games like Pandemic where players can work together, but really the puzzle simple enough, for, as you say, someone to hold it in their head. One level above that is so complicated that everyone is... You can't quarterback it because everyone has to be so fixated on their thing. Spaceler is, I think, the level above that where you need both. You actually... It's so complicated that you need to delegate and um, someone needs to say, okay, you need to go and deal with the slime in the engine room. And that is a hellaciously complicated puzzle for that player. But also, you still need that quarterback role, that player to, to, to delegate, to tell one another what to do. Um, yeah,
0: it enforces a hierarchy and you do want to have a captain that is going to be like, no, actually, this is what we need to do. Now you make it happen.
1: Yeah, and at the, I haven't played a lot of Space Alert recently, but at the time, I remember really liking that because, you know, quarterbacks exist not just because it's a natural human impulse, but because some players do like doing that. Yeah. So I guess it, it feels like a more elegant solution to me rather than make a game where no one can quarterback, but to acknowledge that one player probably will want to do that. So let them do it, but let it not bother other players.
0: Yeah. And I think that that, that can just be a question of like making sure that if someone can be take, you like there's nothing wrong with someone taking a, taking a strategic role and saying, right, this is what we need to be doing overall. We need to be pushing in this direction. I think the time when that actually becomes a problem, when quarterbacking becomes a problem, is um, when... Taking over your turn. Yeah, is when someone takes over your turn. When when the thing, like the tactics of it, that, that, that binary level of like, right, how do I actually do these things with the tools that I've got in front of me? Because if you've been given a set of tools and you end up being told how to use them, it's, it's the most frustrating thing. Like Absolutely. I always think of I went to a, um, a Netrunner meetup, like early in the days of of everyone being really excited about Netrunner, and someone had a deck and they said, "Oh, you can use my deck. That's fine. I'll 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 teach you a little bit how to play." And they basically took every turn for me. So they were playing the game, I was just holding the cards, and it was so frustrating. And they went to get a beer, and I just like sit furtively like. Took a move while they were weren't there, <laughs> just just to try and feel some of that of that feeling of actually me? being in control, uh, and then I, they came back and told me that I'd lost the game because <laughs> I'd, I'd messed everything up, and it was like what? I don't mind if I've lost the game and messed everything up as long as it's me doing it. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, it's like what, is that better or worse than me winning having had like no input into yeah, the process? Yeah. Um,
0: um, so yeah, so, so, I, so I think. Something that can resist that impulse, and I think that this does quite a good job of that, is like you definitely could have someone who's like, right, this is what we need to do, but they are not going to be able to explain to someone how they are going to do that. You're going to have to grasp your own ha- your own cards and the abilities that you've got in order to work that out. And quite often they'll come up and they'll say, oh, no, actually, I can't do that. We need to adjust the strategy. We need to adjust the overall thing. And that back and forth is is really fun and really no, fun. It-
1: It's a very small kind of like moment, but it happens quite often in board games. And I love it where in those scenarios where you're describing in a team based game or a co-op game where one player has to sort of hold their side of the game or one side of the game in their head. Um, I love that moment where you as a teammate talk to them and say, Hey, listen, I don't know what you're doing, but actually it would really help me if you could do this action over here. And you watch as you have input like a sort of, punch card into their early computing system and you get to see your friend go like what uh hang on yeah 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 i can do that Yeah." yeah i i don't know it's not even me making a decision i just like watching my like messing up my friend's calculation but then bending and just managing to make what i ask for work you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah no absolutely that thing of asking for something and then watching someone crumple into that brain space I'm like, uh, i don't know and then asking and then something it comes
1: out and you don't know how complicated it is it reminds yeah. me of Matt and i used to, when matt and i learned video editing software you know way back like 10 years ago we would joke that if imagining a client who asked you know oh can can you put text can text appear on the screen and we imagine saying to this imaginary person just sort of like oh text that's going to cost you when of course it's actually an easy plug <laughs> Putting in text is one of the easiest things you can do on a video yeah um but that's the thing it's like when you ask a teammate in a co-op game can you do this and because you don't know what game they're playing you have no idea if it's going to be easy for them or if like that's going to collapse their entire like (laughs) mental house of cards
0: yeah 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 this this has that that's what i would say if i was going to give one detailed thing about spirit island it would be this has that in spades. Like oh, this wicked. has so much of that.
1: And then, that so what is it in the expansion that you're excited for? What's it called? When's it coming out? The, so there's already
0: been one expansion, Branch and Claw, um, which um, adds extra spirits and is kind of necessary to fill out the game to its its full potential because it has hmm. it makes the it makes all of the decks like about five times as large, and that gives you so much more variety and interest. Um, the new expansion is called Jagged Earth. Um, I think it takes up to six players, which I think might be a little bit hellish. Although also, in theory, all of the play is simultaneous. Like, you're allowed to do things. If you're on different sides of the board, you can just do them. Like, you still have to have that discussion about what you can do and what order you're going to actually do things in. But all of the deciding and all of the, the actions is, is largely simultaneous. So you could probably still play it. Um, but the main thing is it's just got a lot more spirits in it. And it's a got lot some wild spirits. It's got it's got some spirits that... um, It's got a, t- a spirit about... that's a, I can't remember what it's called, but it's about the concept of time. So time it can kind of rewind joy. and fast forward time. Um but like they've gone really, really wild with the new spirits and they are like not beginner friendly, but should be absolutely fascinated. And I've got a lot of I've got a lot of respect for the design here. Like I think it is it does it does everything right to make it as interesting as possible. And like it's one of those expansions where I'm really excited because this is clearly them stretching to the limits of what they can do um and it's clearly built out of having played the game a lot and being like what's the weirdest things we could do one of the spirits is basically a build your own spirit spirit who has so many different options and so many different powers that they could be able to take on that you get to decide exactly what it's good at and what it's bad at um through the course of the game and like that is that sounds punishingly complicated but also (laughs) like fascinating yeah i'm really i'm really really excited actually
1: well, wow. well, I can't uh I can't live up to a big exciting box called Spirit Island, but I can talk about a cute little small box that I was excited about and I can close out the podcast with that. Ava, have you heard of a little card game called Spicy? I have. This is
0: got we covered this on the news and it was one of those games that I, we didn't have a lot of information about, but it had a good simple name and some <laughs> gorgeous art and a ridiculousness of Am I right that it is a game about Cats having a hot food eating competition.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, in the same way that you know the card game War is about theoretically war, but the, <laughs> okay. like, you're not going to feel like a cat. You're not even going to feel like you're eating anything spicy. This is from a Hungarian designer whose name I'm going to absolutely butcher, um, called Györi Zoltán Gabor. Um, and it's by a German publisher. It's a lovely production, absolutely gorgeous production. It's got uh, this lovely logo. The box is almost entirely done up in gold um, reflective material, so the box is basically like solid, shiny gold. Mm -hmm. Um, The art is absolutely wicked. Basically, you've got three suits um, from numbers 1 to 10 three times, so the deck is like 90 cards plus some extra silly cards. So um, the three suits are wasabi, chili peppers, and... Pepper, like as in salt and pepper. And the card art each depicts a c- the cat getting closer and then eating the thing. So the one of wasabi is just some wasabi by itself. The two of wasabi is a cat tail peeking into frame as the cat gets closer. The cat eats the wasabi on like four or five. I think the six of wasabi is the cat realizing it's made a mistake. <laughs> and then like it just gets increasingly like, fiery and angry and then the number 10 of each suit is the cat like breathing fire and like i think the 10 of pepper is like a tiger just crying um it's and most importantly of course as i've campaigned for on shut up and stand before this game does not include the logo on the card backs you know because the card backs okay uh, if you've missed my rant on this before card backs in card games is the single most important piece of art because it's the piece of art you will see way more than any other piece of art And if you choose to put a logo or like you know what's essentially like the game's cover art on the card art, you're essentially forcing players to look at your game's logo, which is not something players like designers would do in any other element of the game. They want every other element of the game to look good. So to put your game's logo on the back of the card is like just horrific. Like you're paying me to look at an advert anyway. um, Sorry, rant over. Spicy has um, lovely sort of subtle card arts with like a, a sort of tiger fading into the background. I've gone all this this far without talking about what on earth the game is. This is a bluffing game, okay? It's a light bluffing game that probably falls into a similar category as Skull or Cockroach Poker, but with a bit more numbers involved. All it is, it's got some of the DNA of the card game Cheat, if you've played that before. So are, everyone gets six cards at the beginning from these three different suits, and you have to empty your hand of cards, ideally. That's one way to get points. Another way to get points is to claim the stack you're all building in the middle. Um, When the game, when each round starts, like, let's say it's your turnover, you might put down, you have to put down a one, two or three of a given suit. So you might put down a three chili. Um, So you put down a three, well, we'll get to, you could be lying, but so you put down a card and you say three chili. The next player then has to just put a number higher than three of the chili suits. The next player might say five chili and put a card on the stack. The next player might say nine chili. But because the suits only go from 1 to 10, that means the next player has to put down a 10. And once there's, someone puts down a card and says it's a 10, then the next person can reset by going 1, 2, or 3. But you do have to stick to the same suit. So a round that's chili or wasabi will always be chili or wasabi. Catch is, no one has to tell the truth about what they're putting down at any point. So when you put down a card saying 3 chili, it can actually be a 7 wasabi. And at any point, any player can say, no, it's absolutely not what you just put down. You did not happen to have a 10 chili at the exact time you needed a 10 chili. I think you're lying. And then you, but you can't just, it's not enough to say that that player is lying. You have to say either that's not the number or that's not the suit. So even if you're sure someone's lying, you still have to take the 50-50 on. What are they lying about? And ideally they're lying about both things. But if they're not, you could be in trouble. And whenever anyone calls out someone else for lying, you see if they were, and either they were, you were correct that they were lying about whatever you said they were lying about. And at that point, all the stack of cards you're building up, you take as points. But if you said they were lying and they weren't, then that player gets the stack of cards instead. And the other player, the person who lost the challenge, gets a penalty of drawing two cards. So basically you're doing this thing of putting down cards, and every time someone put down a card, everyone sort of narrows their eyes being like, are you lying? Is anyone going to call you on it? But, um, you know, challenging someone when there's only one card down is probably not going to happen because the penalty would be essentially losing two points, and all you'd gain if you were right is gaining one point. But of course, that means it's the perfect time to lie because no one's going to call you on it. Um, But that
0: means that presumably all of the information that you're trying to build, whether you think someone are lying, is based on information that is very likely to have been lies.
1: Yes, exactly. So that kind of summarizes the game and it builds up to a lovely crescendo, of course, where if no one calls a lie for long enough and the stack becomes like six or seven cards, the penalty for being wrong is losing two points. But the bonus for being right is like seven cards. So as the round goes on and the stakes get higher, players are less likely to lie. Um, and you always have the option as well. You don't have to put down a card and lie or not. You can always pass, but then you draw a card. So you're penalized for not lying. Um, so that kind of summarizes the game. Very silly, lovely art. Um, weirdly, I was a tiny bit disappointed by it, but only because I went in hearing that like this was going to be one of the best card games of 2020. And it's unquestionably great. It's absolutely going in my collection. Next time, I think um, I do a roundup of like good new card games because... The roundup of uh, my five favorite new card games did quite well in terms of traffic, so I might do that again. Spicy will absolutely go in that. It's great. The only reason I was disappointed is because when I heard it was so good, um, it's neither a, a goofy game that excels at being goofy in the Starlet Cockroach Poker. It's a little more mathy. It's a little more numerical, a little more calculating. But ultimately, it's still it's a game that wants you to calculate, but you don't have any real data. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's a rules explanation that takes me like, you know, three or four minutes to explain. And yet at the end of that, like players can still come out last through no fault of their own. You know what I mean? So it, it is funny. And it is nice. It is good. I'm keeping it. It's great. I'm going to play it more. Um, it's beautiful to look at. And if you want a card game that just looks good, goodness gracious, spicy is a fabulous thing to buy. And I should mention it has some expansions into the box tucked in there in the box that I haven't played. Um, but yeah, it's, it's more like an 8 or 9 out of 10 rather than a 9 or a 10, um, which is, just, I realize now me holding the game to a ridiculously high standard, but Ava, you have to understand, I was so excited to play this game. When I see, uh, when I see people talking about, you know, an epic new card game, my expectations are like sky high
0: it's hard isn't it like the competition for that like kind of truly excellent card game is so so tough because there's so many incredibly sharp things out there to compare against and you know the whole field of card games kind of feels like it's in competition with each other like when anything that's like like takes 20 minutes is based entirely on cards and numerical values and suits like that's already like Most of the games in history, to some extent, (laughs) (laughs) that you're comparing something to, and also some of the sharpest modern games, like things like The Crew. I was about to say The Crew. Things like Cockroach Poker, like they're all already there as kind of incredible examples of the genre.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so, if you have already bought the crew, um, then I would say you know certainly Spicy is another new card game to uh, look at. But no, this does not have that thing of the crew where you start playing it and you're like, oh my god, like this is it? That that feeling of that sensation that this is just so new and fresh and exciting. Yeah. You know, when I played, when I taught my friend Spicy, the first thing they said was, oh my god, this looks gorgeous. And the second thing they said was, oh, so it's basically cheat, yeah. um, which is not a not the best foundation for being like this game is going to blow your minds. Yeah. Um, but no spicy is absolutely superb uh, i love it and um, we'll be looking for an opportunity to get it into some kind of shut up and sit down video in the near future that's going to be it for the very 114th episode of the shut up and sit down podcast if you've not caught it on youtube ava you uh you hinted at earlier but we are currently waist deep in chess month uh, a month of two player only games And if you've not caught Matt's review of Ice Team, that was the first installment. I just reviewed a little two-player Euro game called Targi, which is absolute classic selling it like, I've seen it as low as $13, which is Uh wild for how good it is. Um, So yeah, and we have a couple more two-player games coming up. We've got uh, Tom Brewster. I I sent him a package, a a giant box full of some really exciting two-player review copies and just before we recorded this podcast, I had to uh, panically get on the phone to Parcel Force because I realised I sent it to absolutely the wrong house. Oh dear! Um, so uh, Tom is currently trying to call up people he knows who live near the house that hit the package is going. Hey, there's a very small chance that you, a shut up and sit down listener, will receive a very poorly wrapped box containing a load of board games <laughs> um, and a shotgun microphone. So if that's you, please give it back. Uh, Ava, what do you have on for the rest of the day? Um, I am doing some
0: boring work things this afternoon, uh, but uh, that's good. It's nice to be working. It's nice to be doing stuff. I feel lucky to to have the opportunity.
1: <laughs> I mean, is is it is it going to be boring to all of our audience if you describe? It's it going to be one... so
0: deeply boring. We're literally doing <laughs> the administration around a pension scheme. Ooh, <laughs> like, I doubt I could get more boring than what I am planning on doing this afternoon.
1: I, you know, I'm reaching for a way to like make no. it exciting thinking no. like pensions that no. is, is that adjacent to death. Uh, uh yeah. Yes, yeah. no.
0: Tonight I will this afternoon I will be playing with a Memento Mori, <laughs> a inevitable <laughs> reminder of the fact that we are all going to die.
1: Lovely stuff. Thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast everybody. We will be back in uh, another couple of weeks with a podcast jam-packed full of board games and i can tease that i think matt and i will be able to talk about tim foward's new big exciting box sabotage a team-based hidden movement roll and write game kind of thing about spies in uh, secret volcano lairs that's more exciting than what you've got going on for the rest of the day isn't it ever that is a lot more exciting whatever going on for rest. There you go. Thank you very much, everybody. And we will be back very soon. Goodbye. Bye.
0: You did push me towards the uh, inevitable death reminder there.
1: (laughs) No, hey, look, I I gave you a shove and you flew. (laughs) (laughs)